NHL coach hits the open market. It is the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. You're home with the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit Avenue Machinery. And lots to get into today, of course, with a a full slate of uh, playoff action over the weekend and tonight. Draft lottery going this week as well, Drancer. Some interesting Canucks tidbits to get into. But the news of the day, without a doubt, around the NHL is Barry Trotz has been dismissed by the New York Islanders as their head coach after missing the playoffs this year and look there's no surprise I mean he didn't really get the most out of that no it's it's not as if he's one of the you know instantly becomes an incredibly desirable commodity across the NHL one of the most respected and (laughs) admired and well-liked coaches in the NHL successful yeah Yeah, I mean Barry Trotz is a great coach very very most wins all time in the NHL yeah I mean Barry Trotz is one of the best coaches in the sport period I don't understand it I don't understand it Uh, you know the Islanders didn't play a home game until November 22nd this year, and from, you know, roughly the time the Canucks hired Boudreaux on, they were pretty good, like they were top 15, they weren't far off from what the Canucks did in the second half of the season, uh, they made it to the Eastern Conference Final with a team that punched well above its weight, uh, they've made some terrible moves, like terrible moves, Well, brutal, it, awful moves. Speaking about the decision, or not specifically about the decision, but just They're the state of his years. team. They're hooped for years. Lou Lamorello says, you know, one of the priorities is we need to get more offense out of our blue line. Well, Only a player like Devon <laughs> Taves was available. You had Devon Taves on your roster, yeah. but you had to move him because of cap com- complications that you created, that were self-inflicted. Yeah, by giving up a first, a second, and a third for J.P. J. Pajot, who's like a good player. Don't get me wrong, I like J.P. Pajot, but, you know... Not a top six player. I mean, truly a wild decision out of Belmont uh, today. And, and you know, uh, it, it completely impossible to understand. Now, does it have any ramifications for the Canucks? I mean, I guess, I guess they could potentially still have a coaching vacancy. Um, Trotz would bring structure. No doubt about that. <laughs> If that's what they're looking for. I mean, if, if structure is high on your priority list, it's hard to think of a, a coach more well-suited to and, provide that. And he's Summers in BC, right? He's a Western yep. Canadian guy. But, you know, the the news over the weekend that Elliot Friedman broke that uh, Bruce Boudreau sat in on interviews uh, or the recruiting pitch for uh, Kuzmenko, Andre Kuzmenko, that looms pretty large to me. I mean, that that does seem like a very positive indicator of, of the way this is trending. If he's still involved in the planning stages and the recruitment stages of a highly sought-after player, a player who's going to have a ton of options. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see where this lands. I, I know that Boudreaux was also out over the weekend watching uh, AHL hockey in Hershey, which is where he lives, so maybe not as much to read into there, but he, he was taken in a game between the Bears, the Hershey Bears, and the... Um, ooh, the Pittsburgh Penguins affiliate who they're playing in the playoffs. So that's uh, perhaps more interesting. But we'll see. We'll see. I For me, this week feels like a crucial one. If Boudreaux's coming back, rip the Band-Aid off. Like, yeah, get it done. Make it plain. Now, maybe the club can't do that if they're not extending him. But the longer Boudreaux waits and the more we get news like Barry Trotz is out in New York, what's going to happen in Vegas? I still don't think we have clarity as to what they're going to do in Vegas. Could be an op- opening there. 
Uh, and then there could be some teams that overreact, or not overreact, but react appropriately based on how the playoffs sort of, like, we could be, we could see another two or three vacancies open up over the next 10 days. And you're already looking at Detroit, Winnipeg, Philadelphia, um, New York, obviously. The Islanders now. The Islanders yep. now. Um, you know, the Devils changed assistant coaches, but could they leave it there or could they, con- or could Lindy Ruff move on? Um, you know, I'm, I'm still interested to see that. I don't know that we know. Um, and then, and then you add some teams that are on the watch list that are still in the playoffs, Dallas among them, although they're pun- certainly them punching above their weight against Calgary would seem to help. What happens in Florida? Florida is a, what happens is in a Florida if they lose Toronto, Toronto if they lose, big one. right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of question marks still out there. The longer Boudreaux bides his time and waits to see what's out there, the, you know, more, I think it's possible, despite all the positive indicators, that this doesn't have a happy ending for those who want to chant Bruce, there it is, during Canucks wins next year. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. The fact that Boudreaux is still functioning in his role within the organization while everyone sort of waits for this June 1st option deadline, that's that's definitely positive that things are still amicable. But, you know... The organization wouldn't have handled this the way they did if they weren't prepared to replace him, right? And there's no way that the way that they handled it left a positive or a sweet taste in Bruce Boudreaux's no. mouth. It didn't fill him with whimsy, like I promise you. So we'll see where this goes, but it does seem to be trending in a positive direction, particularly with the news this week weekend, which honestly stands in stark contrast with what I sort of was hearing late last week, which was... You know, I thought there was some frustration on both sides. So, uh, well, I'm sorry, I didn't think that. There was frustration on both sides. I was catching some wind of that last late last week. And then, you know, seems th- things seem to be moving in a more positive direction this weekend. Well, so, and, the, and the frustration is we'll certainly understandable. And I, certainly from Bruce Boudreaux's perspective, right? To totally. kind of have pretty pointed... Uh, a pretty pointed evaluation of where you stand in your future in public like that from Jim Rutherford. And not to say that that's an irreparable harm or anything like that. But yeah, it's gonna, it might cause a little frustration. Well, it's probably not going to feel good, and, certainly. And a lack of alignment. We need tweaks versus fundamental change. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that, that's the other thing here, right? There seems to be a fundamental distinction in how the club's latter 60 games are built. Or, 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 or sorry... What to take from the club's latter 60 games, right? Boudreaux wants to read a lot into it. He should. He accomplished a lot. The Canucks want to give Boudreaux credit for that while saying that the team is far away. We've talked a little bit about Pittsburgh, uh, New York as a series being sort of a litmus test for these issues. Well, the Pittsburgh Penguins are up in that series with, you know, Louis the Knife Domingue. Louis Domingue versus Igor Shosturkin. Right. And you know that if if the shoe was on the other foot, if the New York Rangers were down to their third goalie, this would be over in four. Instead, the Pittsburgh Penguins have a shot. Well, do you want to be the Pittsburgh Penguins or do you want to be the New York Rangers? Right? That That's that's the fundamental argument. Do you want to be the laissez-faire team that can win on goaltending? Or do you want to be a team with a you know durable system capable of replacing even the best players? You lose Chris Letang, hey, we can still win the cup. Ron Hainsey, you're our top pair defenseman now. Sure, we'll make it work. Well, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? What direction do you want to go in? And and that feels to me like this, you know, look, it's an easy dichotomy. I'm presenting it because it's easy to understand. It's like Larry versus Magic or, you know, one of those quick dichotomies that you immediately just, like, get. Like, 
lights up your eyes, right? The Tampa Bay Lightning versus the, you know, I guess the St. Louis Blues would be the analog, although I don't think it's a perfect one. Point being, for me, that's sort of representative of, of my bigger concern. It's not about feelings. It's business. It's business, and Rutherford and Boudreaux go back 30 years, 40 years, right? They can, they can get over a press conference easily, easily. That, that's not the part that concerns me. What concerns me is, are you aligned with, in terms of your vision, in terms of what this club's goals are and should be? That, to me, is sort of the bigger risk that the club is taking, that you bring back a coach whose deal is running out and who views the team in a fundamentally different way than management does. And I'm not saying that's true, even. I'm just saying that that was what was hinted at to me when I digested over the course of the past week the year-ending availability. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Get your thoughts in about the Barry Trotz news, uh, the Canucks and Boudreaux ongoing situation <laughs> And we definitely want to well. hear from you if you think Barry Trotz should have been fired. <laughs> That's the take I want to hear. Great move, Lou. Yeah. <laughs> and just to tie that it. seems defensible yeah tell explain it to me if anyone honestly if anyone can explain it to me i will give you mad daps on air it, it at the very least it was i think if you were to try to put the spin if you were hired to do the pr spin for the islanders on this one it would be incredible coach you know one of the best coaches in the nhl but sometimes even the best coach the message wears thin and i'm not saying i believe that i'm saying that's like the best spin I could come up with to justify it. But even in that, in, in light of that, it feels like because of all the weird circumstances this year, you at least have to give him another season to get back to doing normal Barry Trotz things. And, and, and the question, and I think you could have asked this question when going back to when Nashville let him go, are you getting closer to winning a Stanley Cup by letting Barry Trotz go? Right? I, I don't think that was, I don't think the answer was yes for Nashville. I don't think the answer is yes for the Islanders right now. Well, here's the text I want to get in. This team can score, and toward the latter half of the year had Matt Barzell on their third line. That's your argument. That's the one argument I'll hear, right? Matt Barzell's like their only good option to manufacture offense, and he was a little bit underutilized in the in the second half, to the point that, you know, he's entering the last year of his bridge deal when? Next year, right? I believe he has two more years. I could be Is wrong Is he on the that. exact same Actually, cycle no, as Pedersen? He has one yeah, year yeah, left. Yeah, he has one more year left. So... You know that's an interesting that's an interesting one to watch, particularly because Barzil's sort of the headliner of this group of well, sorry, he's the headliner until Bedard makes the league of this sort of group of young Vancouver forwards who sort of grew up watching that 2010-11 team and are to a man just absolutely filthy offensively, right? Like Barzil, Kent Johnson, Connor Bedard. This is the strongest crop of Vancouver healed players, and they are lights out, like offensive wizards in a way that we typically don't associate players from Vancouver being. I mean, I know Korea and Sakic are sort of, not that it's never happened, just that you, when you think about Vancouver-born players, you tend to think more of, you know, uh, like Guys with big frames who play hard. You think Milan Lucic. Milan Lucic you think for sure, Evander yeah. Kane. You think Brendan Gallagher. You think, you know, all guys who, by the way, had 30-goal or 60-point seasons in their NHL career. No slouches. It's just there's a there's a player type there, uh, 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 a sensibility in terms of work ethic, in terms of um, how they go about manufacturing their offense. And now this, like, latest generation are just sick. 
just completely sick. Uh, different kind of era. It's 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 been interesting to watch unfold. Um the the connection between or to tie the trots news to the Canucks. So obviously. The Andre Kuzmenko thing that Friedman reported, and you were just mentioning, where Boudreaux has been involved. He was involved in the interview with Kuzmenko, the Canucks interview. He's involved in the recruitment of a, a high-profile European free agent that's going to have lots of offers. Obviously, that doesn't happen if Boudreaux and the Canucks are, you know, steaming mad and playing loggerheads. Right. Yeah. If you're like, I'm fed up with them. This is, you know, that yeah. that's not happening if that's the situation. No. It's not a guarantee that the situation is going to resolve, but it's, very, it's, it's a strong indicator then it's moving in a positive direction. I will say, I think the trots news is the kind of thing that probably gives both parties pause in different ways, right? Like, even if the Canucks, if, if there had been a lot of progress towards Boudreaux coming back, okay, all of a sudden Barry Trotz is out there. So I think at the very least, the Canucks brain trust has to talk about it, right? Is that a realistic option for us? Does it make sense? Do we want to go that way? What would it cost? All of those things. You have to do your due diligence and explore the possibility. Well, and to do your due diligence, you just call Gil Scott, who also represents Bruce Bruce Boudreaux. So maybe a little bit of a difficult conversation to have. (laughs) (laughs) But I will also say, from Boudreaux's perspective, all of a sudden, there is, yes, there's another opening available. I'm not sure Boudreaux would necessarily be a fit for Lou Lamorello. And the New York Islanders, although we have people texting in, uh, Rager texted in saying uh, that it's a great firing because Lulam already has confirmation from Boudreaux that he's going to coach the Islanders next season. I'm not sure that's going to play out like that. But from Boudreaux's perspective, you know, if you were kind of sizing up Philadelphia or potentially Vegas as a fallback option, should the Canucks not happen for you? Well, all of a sudden, Barry Trotz is going to be very much in the running for those jobs, very much in the running for any position that might open up after the first round. And I wonder, even from Boudreaux's perspective, if that just helps nudge you towards, you know what? I'll come back. I'll come back under the contract I'm currently on. No problem. And uh, and hopefully we can work out an extension after. Not that it it decides the matter for you, but I do think it, you know, all of a sudden you're not kind of the clear-cut best coach on the market or anything like that, right? There's a guy that everyone else is going to be really, really interested in who's out there and available now. Well, you know, I don't know that Barry Trotz was the best candidate, or sorry, I don't know Boudreaux. that Boudreaux was the best sure. candidate on the market anyway. I mean, the Canucks' view of Boudreaux's abilities doesn't exist in a vacuum independent from how he's viewed within the industry, right? Uh, the Bruce there it is chance in Vancouver, and the record in Vancouver isn't the only thing that people within the business whose jobs are on the line are evaluating Boudreaux's performance based on, right? I think you need, you, you, if you're going after Boudreaux, you want something specific. You want a guy who can make the playoffs every year and maximize your group offensively and certainly get through to any young players. Like if you have bad vibes, if you have bad vibes, Boudreaux's like Boudreaux's the bad vibes doctor, right? But, you know, the, the structural thing, you know, that's not, new it's not like that's the first time we've ever heard that um you know used not not as criticism but as context for what Boudreaux's accomplished in the regular season and so you know we'll see uh trots however has the ring has the playoff pedigree he's the best coach on the market now without question with a bullet I just don't know I just don't know that Boudreaux was there anyway like I don't know that there I think that would have been I think Boudreaux was an acquired taste for the right situation and look, the right situation may yet present itself. The right situation, honestly, is probably here, to be totally honest with you. I just think ideally with an extension in hand. You know, I, I do think there's a risk to him coming back with a 
as a lame duck coach. Now, granted, Rutherford rejected that poll. I just tend to agree. I tend to disagree with him, and I, I tend to disagree with him extra strongly or or uh, more firmly on that. In the event that there is this misalignment we hinted at, or that I think was hinted at, that you didn't have to even read between the lines. It was not subtext, it was text in comparing the two availabilities. The idea that you have, you know, a a front office trying to build something long term, willing to take a step back on paper, prioritizing getting younger players, reallocating cap space, with a coach working for his next deal who thinks you're just a couple tweaks away, like that concerns me. And I think is materially different than the Mike Sullivan situation that that Rutherford name checked as an example, because for the that Pittsburgh Penguins team, the goal was so obvious, and everyone had the same one. It was win a second cup, like it was a totally different situation. It was repeat. So, anyway, we'll see how this resolves. I do think that the longer it drags out, the lower my confidence level will be on Boudreaux. Like I sit here today, and would probably gauge it as Boudreaux's more likely than not to return, but not by, like, I'm not feeling as confident about it as, as some. So, you know, let's let's go with, like, 65-35, right? Uh, two-thirds chance. If we're having this conversation again next week, I'm not saying I'll be flipped to one-thirds chance, but I might be closer to 55-45 with it being more likely that it departs. This feels like a really crucial week in the process. And this... The Trots news kind of illustrates the whole idea of the longer it goes, the less likely it becomes because things happen, right? Unexpected things happen, and that changes the calculus for both sides. And the longer you let it go, the more potentially unexpected, interesting things uh, happen that might change what both sides want to do. Some text here, 650-650 in the Dunbar Lumber text line. This is from Jacob, who says, The Trots news makes it way less likely that Bruce will be back next year. The fact that Canucks management didn't commit to Bruce already means they are likely to betray him in favor of Barry Trotz. And I will say, it's not as simple as, you know... It's definitely not betrayal. Well, no, it's not betrayal, but it's also, you know... Everyone's within their contractually negotiated rights. As we all... Like, we always have to remember this when you're um, looking at UFAs, right? It's it's a two-way decision. It's not as simple as Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin deciding that they want to hire Barry Trotz. There's going to be a lot of teams in the mix to try to acquire the services of Barry Trotz, right? So it, it's that's really important to keep in mind here. It's it's not as if they can just say, yeah, okay, snap their fingers, and then Barry Trotz is their head coach. You have to make sure that uh, you're, you're actually in the running for his services because, again, he's going to be very, very much in demand. And Marcus and Gibson's text in, uh, Trotz got fired so he can coach the team he wants, the Florida Panthers. And I will say, <laughs> I will say, if Florida – doesn't come back here against Washington. That team just screams, screams Barry Trotz to me, right? I mean, we we already saw it with the Washington Capitals. You know, all the offensive talent in the world, Barry Trotz comes over, gets them over the hump uh, to a Stanley Cup victory. So, I, look, I would still bet on Florida coming back and taking that series against Washington, but my goodness, if I was Barry Trotz and I knew that job might be open with all of the talent they have there, yeah, I would certainly be keeping my eye on that one again 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line keep your thoughts coming in now you mentioned uh Elliot Friedman's reporting that Bruce Boudreaux was in the recruitment call the interview the Canucks interview with uh, Russian free agent Andre Kuzmenko who's a very very high demand European free agent coming off a really successful season with Saint St. Petersburg in the KHL 
what what is your sense beyond how that um you know influences the Boudreaux conversation and how likely he is to be back what is your sense of the interest level in both directions from the Canucks and Kuzmenko but also from Kuzmenko in the Vancouver Canucks at this point I believe that new Canucks management has been doing diligence on Kuzmenko dating back to before they were hired dating back to their Pittsburgh days uh, Kuzmenko's a 26-year-old forward who's sort of been like a 30-point-per-50-game scorer in the KHL until this year, when at the age of 26 he popped off and was better than point per game. We're talking 54 points in 45 games, something like that. I might be a point off. 53 I, uh, points in 45 games. There you sure. go, one yeah. point off. Um, that is rare, right? It is very hard to be a point-per-game-plus player in the KHL. And I know if you go look at the KHL's leading scorers, you're going to see some, like, um, Vancouver Canucks never-was yeah. guys. Like who Lyndon Vey. Yeah. yeah. And Nicholas Jensen and and Jordan Trader among the top ten. Uh, Curtis Volk among the top ten in, in KHL scoring or, or, or thereabouts. But point-per-game-plus, they are not, right? Like, there are two players in the... KHL, who were point-per-game-plus this year. One's Vadim Shipchayov, who didn't work out in the NHL. The other's Andre Kuzmenko, who had a career year at the age of 26. When you look at the comparable players, right, players of a similar height, similar age, similar point-per-game rate um, in the KHL over the last 30 years, 20, well, let's, let's even narrow it, 15, 15 years. The only guys that pop off as comps for what Kuzmenko did this season are Stefan DaCosta, who you may remember was like one of those highly recruited college prospects who sort of flamed out with the Ottawa Senators organization. But but also, that was a decade ago. You know what I mean? Stefan DaCosta was like an undersized sort of skill finesse forward. Might have been a totally different story for him today than it was then. And the other is 26-year-old Alexander Radulov, who was a point-per-game player, which was the worst that season that he had, right? It was an injury-plagued year in the Olympic year. But he had 34 points in 34 games at the at the same age. Those are those are basically the guys that pop off when you do sort of the uh, cohort style analysis. And so, one of them came back to the NHL two years later, and over the next three seasons had 200 points. <laughs> right? One of them sort of never got another shot, never got another look at the NHL level, although he was a stud player over in um, Europe for many years. That's good company, right? You like when you do that type of analysis when there's not a big list, right? Because that means that what they're what they're accomplishing is, is rare. rare. Rare player profile type. And you especially like it when that short list includes a guy who went on to be a first-line caliber player in the NHL over the next several, year, several years. Now, I don't think Kuzmenko is late 20s Radulov, don't get me wrong, by any means. I don't think he's at that level of cre- creativity. He's certainly never been that pedigree of player at any point in his career along the way. But there there very well may be a useful middle six or or even a little bit better player within that. Now, here's what you have to understand about the structure of this situation. Kuzmenko is 26, which means he still is governed by the entry-level system, Right. He cannot sign a standard player contract that's not a one-year ELC. It's limited to that. So what does that mean? Well, it means that his max paragraph A salary is 925 k no matter where he goes. No one can sort of outbid. You can load him up with performance bonuses, but that's really all you can do. Now, 
as we know, performance bonuses can be pretty lucrative, particularly if you want to get into the Schedule Bs. But, you know, you're probably looking at 850k Schedule As, and maybe, maybe you look at some Schedule Bs, but, boy, that would be a big ticket. So, either way, you're sort of capped. 2.85 million would be your cap on bonuses. I don't think it would take that much to get him. And even then, you're talking potential. There is no ability for anyone to outbid anyone else. So this, this is one of those restricted bargaining situations. Where teams are going to differ, where, where the advantages are going to differ, is for Kuzmenko, you are one year away from unrestricted free agency. So it's really about being selective about opportunity, about where you land. And to know or feel very, very confident in the idea that should you go to X team, you're going to see some power play one. You're going to play with a good center who can accentuate your game. You're going to have a chance to show not just that you belong, but that you belong as like a top six guy, like a $4 million player. That's the financial incentive here. Far more important, I think, than haggling over an additional, you know, 500k in schedule b performance bonuses which you'll only earn if you're a top 10 scorer yeah. in the league or right like you really have to pop off really pie in the those. sky stuff yeah so well not pie in the sky for the guys who can reach them right you do have to be careful with right them, but yes for for this player most likely we're most not like that you never know but you never know so that's why you would have a coach in that recruitment pitch right that's why because opportunity is going to probably be decisive in shaping the outcome here. Uh, the Canucks are very interested. I think Kuzmenko's had their eye on them for a while. There was a quote early on, or I don't know if it was a quote, but there was a sense when Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford were talking about getting college guys and European free agents, that part of the reason that they thought they'd have a chance in, in those pitch talks was that there's going to be opportunity yes. available in Vancouver. But you look up and down this roster and you see wingers like Besser, Garland, Hoaglander, Pod Colson, you know, you see competition, certainly, for top six wing spots, unless there's changes coming, right? Unless there's perhaps significant changes coming. So, does the recruitment of Kuzmenko hinge at all, not just on Boudreaux's future, but on the future of the Canucks group that we saw, you know, crush it over the last 60 games of the year, um, to some extent? Does what the Canucks are telling Kuzmenko's camp indicate that we may see significant changes afoot this offseason. Certainly we expect them at this point, right? So we're going to see. But those are the sort of the dynamics of the Kuzmenko recruitment that are worth being aware of here. It would be it would be hard for me to imagine them winning the Kuzmenko sweepstakes if they're not selling. Oh, don't worry. There's going to be changes that create opportunities for you, right? Because as you said, if, if if his expectation is this whole group is basically going to be back and I'm going to be really scratching and clawing for, you know, top six minutes, let alone power play one minutes, well, chances are pretty good he's going to go somewhere else then, right? Uh, for sure. But well, if if he sees a legitimate path to power play one minutes, I think they – and, you know, there's a coach – uh, with Bruce Boudreaux's rep- uh, reputation of getting really good offensive production from his top players, I mean, I think they would have every chance to be in the running, but it, it it's predicated on 
those opportunities opening up, opening up in front of him. And we might uh, we might have a chance to get into this in the second half. But uh, Denis from Langley said, uh, Drance, can you explain your recent article at the Athletic with the tiers of Canucks players based on how likely they are to come back next year? He says you make it sound like every meaningful player is returning, which clearly isn't the case. And uh, we can talk about that on the other side, but. It does seem like if they're going to land Kuzmenko, there's going to have to be some sort of significant changes that open up a path to playing time uh, for that player with the Canucks next year. And not just for him, but if they're going to be in the running for other inter- interesting uh, European or college free agents still, right? That part of the what, you, what you're selling to those players is opportunity. And if things remain the same, if things remain as they are right now with the Canucks group, especially at forward, it's not clear where that opportunity uh, is going to come exactly. We'll get into the article on the other side, but I, I think the fact is is that we're always conservative in pegging individual situations. That doesn't mean that, um, you know, just because a guy is like returning dot, 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 we think, which is one of our tiers, like for me, that means those are the groups of guys that I expect may move on, right? Yeah. Like that to me is not the for sure they're here. That's there's some complicated circumstances. You may have to read past the the subheaders um, to, to get a sense of exactly what we're talking about within that article. I want to talk a little bit more about Kuzmenko and and sort of one issue that I also think is worth being aware of, and that's the visa issue. I don't know if this is a very good, like, we'll talk to you on the other side of the break cliffhanger, (laughs) but it dovetails nicely with something I want to discuss about the Canucks Stanley Cup, which, of course, is the NHL draft lottery, and that comes tomorrow. So that'll dovetail together, and we'll get into that in the second segment. Plus, international work visa analysis coming up next. Oh, baby! Let's go! (laughs) Let the hot takes fly. It's the Canucks Hour here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. The Bears. The Hershey Bears. Welcome back to the show, Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. 50, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here with you. Canucks Hours, Canucks Hour, no, just just Hour today. We're not doing multiple. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. We were discussing uh, the Canucks' pursuit of Russian free agent Andre Kuzmenko. And as you mentioned, Drancer, another big event on the NHL calendar, and certainly for the Vancouver Canucks this week, tomorrow it is the NHL Draft Lottery. And this has become uh, a very uh, familiar tradition and event for Canucks fans. Also a very frustrating one on a year-to-year basis for Canucks fans. And this year, like I don't know if frustrating is the word because the odds are just so daunting, but not likely to be a major cause of celebration because they have a 98% chance of picking 15th overall, and only a very, very slim chance of moving up to either 5th or 6th. And a 1% chance of moving to 16. 1% chance of falling back, yes. So, you know, 16 it is. (laughs) Um, Yeah, draft lotteries in the Vancouver Canucks have been, you know, it's not good. It's not good. Um, But, look, on the one hand, people will say, oh, how Canucksy, if they were to win this year, right? They win it in the year that you can only move up 10 spots. That would be huge. Oh, the difference between 15th and 5th is enormous. Huge. Enormous. Especially especially if you're talking defensemen, right? Especially if you're all of a sudden, if you wake up on Wednesday morning and you're talking about this Canucks team getting you know, a player like a Nemich 
um, a, a, you know, in this draft, that's a massive, massive sea change from, you know, oh, I wonder if the Canucks like Owen Pickering or, you know, yep. not, good prospect, but a totally different conversation. You're in a completely different realm of upside when you're in and fifth. immediacy. Yeah. And immediacy. You're, you're also in a totally different realm of guys who could step in, if not next year, then the year after versus, you know, guys where you're hoping a few things line up and fall your way. So it's going to be really interesting tomorrow. The Canucks will probably remain at 15. And even there at 15, they're going to get the prospect that becomes immediately their top prospect. Not close. No doubt. They, they're so desperate for an infusion of talent everywhere. Um, okay. Really quickly. On, on Russian players in general, as a result of the war in the Ukraine, right, there is, a, sorry, and excuse me, as a result of the war in Ukraine, the sense around the league is that work visa issues for Russian-born nationals, Russian nationals, may, may be difficult to navigate. And there's some question about whether it may be extra difficult for Canadian teams to navigate versus their American counterparts. So... That could be a factor to be mindful of as the Canucks pitch Kuzmenko along with, you know, a variety of American-based teams, including Vegas and Nashville, uh, reportedly. So this also will potentially have a chilling effect on what we see out of the KHL in terms of the draft. And this is the one to be additionally mindful of because there are some really good prospects that may fall to fifteen that would never be available. No chance would they be available if not for some concerns about how quickly they can be brought over, not to mention all the usual KHL developmental issues that you work through and that the Canucks saw up, up close and personal with Vasily Podkolzin. Uh, a player like Yurov, who's Yurov, like a yeah. big winger. He's the one who stands out. He's the sure. one that stands out. Uh, especially if, you know, I mean, the Miroschenko situation is... is um, really sad and hopefully he's able to make a full recovery and I'm not really sure what's going on there or what, how he'll be factored into teams lists. I'd, I'd imagine he'll go undrafted concerning his medical concerns, but he would have been a top five pick for sure. Maybe a top three pick, uh, if not for those issues. Anyway, Yurov though is a guy that could slide and I'd be very curious to, to see how the Canucks rate him uh, versus the rest of the league, because that to me is like the clearest value pick that you could be hoping for is that you know this year teams undervalue Russian players because of circumstances completely outside the player's control and that you know that's a guy that might slip to you now of course Yurov's in an even worse developmental situation than Pod Colson is right like he's been getting called up to the KHL and then averaging fewer than a minute a game but it's a good sign that he's getting called up very good sign and he's been excellent at European tournaments big bodied player kind of like Pod Colson uh Said to have slightly finer finishing skills, which, you know, not bad. No. Not bad. No. Either way, the Canucks are going to get a good prospect of 15, which is where they'll likely pick. But if they're able to get up to five or six, then you're talking, a, you know, Sa 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 Savoy and Nemich, and that is a material difference. That would be a huge boost for this team. Draft lottery is still worth paying attention to. Yeah, Yurov would be fascinating. I also say the the corollary of uh, it would still be a really big deal if they move up to fifth or sixth, as frustrating as it might be. Obviously, look, if they fall back to 16th, everyone's going to vent. Get your jokes off. I understand that. But also keep in mind, 
it, it, it's there's basically no difference between picking 15th and 16th. So there's there's not a lot of downside, fortunately, for the Canucks. Although I do understand that uh, if they fall back to 16th, everyone's going to want to get those jokes off, and I I appreciate that. I support that. Uh, but it's not actually that big a deal if they do fall back. The Europe thing is really interesting because you're already seeing the various prospect gurus and draft rankers try to grapple with that, right? And I, I feel like what we're, what they're doing right now is kind of, you know, okay, well, on true talent, he would be fifth, but we don't really know how it's going to affect him, so we'll drop him down to, you know, ninth or tenth. But it could, he could slide a lot more than that, right? And totally. It, it's going to be one of the most fascinating storylines going into the draft is just he's the headliner, but in general, how far do the Russian players fall? And I also wonder, from a Canucks perspective, already having Pod Colson, and this regime didn't go through it, but the organization went through the ups and downs of watching his development, but now he's here. And he's living up and more to the expectations, right? And I wonder if having him in-house, having Danilo Klimovich playing for your AHL team, and I know he's not Russian, he's from Belarus, but a similar situation with Belarusian players. Well, they acted quickly to keep him out of the KHL for a reason, right? Yeah. I mean, it is what that, that, what, that is what it is. And I wonder, uh, I wonder how much that change, if at all, that, those experiences change or make them more likely to kind of embrace the risk of a player like Danilo Yurov than some other teams around the NHL. Well, they should. They also need to hunt for upside. I mean, here's another here's another big question you you might have to ask yourself, especially picking at 15. There's a WHL defenseman, okay? Left-handed shot, under 6 feet tall, named Denton Matechuk. There is a real chance when the Canucks are on the board, he's still there. Partly because, you know, uh, look, maybe that changes if the Colorado Avalanche win the win the uh, Stanley Cup, and everyone's like, "Hey, you can win with smaller D." But you know, certainly if Tampa Bay gets by, by um, you know, Toronto, for example, and then maybe gets by Florida again, people will be like, "You need beef on the blue line, right?" Like that's the lesson of the Tampa Bay Lightning. So he could well be around at fifteen. Do you consider a player like that if he's your BPA, best player available? Considering the one thing you have a surplus of is lefty defenseman who can move the puck well. You have Dermott. You have Hughes. You have Rathbone. Can you afford to use your first draft pick as a new regime on a, on a lefty D? And the answer is yes. Yes. Yes, 100% yes. And here's why. When you're drafting 15th, you're drafting for three or four years down the line. And you don't know what your team's needs are going to be at that point. Also, the draft isn't where you build your team. As much as this market was you know, gaslit into thinking it was for 10 years, the fact is, is that the draft is where you add value into your organization using a set device that the NHL uses to reward incompetence, right? That's what the draft is. The draft is a system where you can add value to your team. That's your goal. Your goal shouldn't be to build your team through the draft. It's to build your team through every means at your disposal while taking advantage of the opportunity offered to you at the draft to, to graft value on your onto your club. So... That's an interesting one, too, to sort of consider. And I, I'd imagine we'll have this debate uh, in the months ahead. We've got some time I to think kill. so. I think so. Uh, look, I've always been best player available. You're Especially when you're a team like the Canucks, where you have a ton of holes. You know, you don't have a lot of depth in your prospect system. You just need high-end players, right? And who knows what it's... You don't know what's going to happen with Jack Rathbone. You really like Jack Rathbone, but who knows what he's going to be in three years. Travis Dermott, same thing. Elliot Friedman is saying the Canucks are trying to find a landing spot for OEL. I wouldn't bet on it happening, but your your depth chart at defense could look radically, radically different 
in two years. And, and the idea of passing on a player because, oh, you know, well, we're pretty set on the left side of defense. There's no way, no way it makes sense for this team. I will say, and we're getting off on a little bit of a tangent here, but that's I've, what we do. I've always been a hardcore best player available guy in the NHL draft. And I still am. I think I still would call myself that. The only thing I'm, and it's not about drafting for need, but I, I have started to wonder, do teams need to, much like we see in the NFL draft, start to weight positional value a little bit more than they do? And I know they obviously already do. They right? definitely like already center, do. Centers and defense are yeah. more valued. But I, I wonder if the needle move, needs to move in that direction a little bit more. And I just say this, looking at some of the Canucks' recent drafting history, they have not used a lot of picks on defensemen or centers. Right now, defensemen has picked up a little bit, but centers... You know, I think they've they've used one third round pick on a center since they draft or one third round or higher pick on a center since they drafted Elias Pettersson in 2017. And guess what? As a result, they don't have any center prospects and teams really really value young centers who can play at the NHL level. And it's not again, it's not about drafting cuz centers can play wing. That's the thing. If you have a winger, he's only ever going to be a winger. If you have a center and 5 years down the road you're like, "Oh wow, we've got a glut of centers." Guess what? They yes. can all play wing. They totally. can all play wing. So I'm not saying never draft a winger or anything like that, but I'm just starting to wonder, should, does the gap need to be bigger? The gap in talent between you know winger X and center Y need to be a little bit bigger than we currently make it out to be. Because, again, I just look at the example of the Canucks. And what, it was the 2019 draft. Didn't take a single defenseman, right? Now, you could probably look through all of those picks and say, hey, this was the guy at the top of our board. This was the guy we feel is the most talented, but... You don't use premium picks on centers and defensemen, and guess what? Now you don't have any centers or defensemen in your prospect pipeline. Although they were very close to using a second-round pick on uh, a defenseman and amended the board the night before at the, you know, ultimately it was Benning that led that charge, but he, he'd been sort of convinced to do so in part by Patrick Janssen, who's, who's since passed away. Um, so, you know, they end up taking Hoaglander ahead of, uh, I, I believe it was Caden Korshak. Uh, who ended up in Vegas, but that was sort of a last-minute maneuver. You wouldn't want to have taken a defenseman there. No, nope. you know, like they they no, nailed and that. That's pick. why ultimately best player available is go with it. Is the smartest thing it. to do. I just I just can't quite shake the well, feeling. You, that. You'd have to think that they'll be tempted to take a defenseman. And there's some there's some interesting names uh, available, especially at the top of the draft. I mean, if you're able to get up and get Nemich, I think that's that would be incredible. Like that that would be the. That would be the result of a win for me. I'd be like, okay, now they now they have a chance to get six foot four right handed defenseman who might be NHL ready. Like yeah. that, that would be a huge boost for this club. It's why I'll be paying close attention to the draft lottery, not just you know because it's for, the job. For professional <laughs> obligation. <laughs> but I, I mean, I think it would be a huge boon for this team if they were able to get up and get a player like that. Uh, so I know. Uh, hold on, I know Urasek is the other the other guy at the yeah. uh, the defenseman. I do want to bring our guy uh, Chris Faber into the conversation. Or if we're if we're talking NHL draft lottery um at 15 is there a player who is the apple of your eye from a canucks perspective favor well i know you mentioned that like you're drafting a player there that's like three two or three four years away but i really like marco casper uh, i talked to his coach today actually and, and he said a lot of similar things between niels huglander and marco casper uh actually talking to him tomorrow so i'm excited for that uh, I really like him. I just think his forecheck's so strong. He took a huge step in the SHL playoffs, like getting power play time uh, with Rugla over there uh, in Sweden. It's a great organization. They developed. Oh, really oh you well. were talking to the Abbots. I was talking to the Abbots. The, the Abbott twins are cool the coaching GM in in Rogla. Yeah, 
Yeah, really cool situation. I like Casper a lot. He's a big body at 6'1", 187 pounds. Four checks really hard. Makes a lot of really good passes like under pressure. Like he makes those those split second decisions where you when you're watching a prospect, you're like, can they make that quick decision to make the right pass? Casper does that a lot, and he's really aggressive on the four check. So I like him. He's kind of like more around twenty to twenty three on a lot of rankings. But if he's your guy and you really like him, like sixteen isn't that much of a stretch. Well, or you trade down because one thing yeah, I do the expect other, that's the other interesting possibility. One thing I do expect the Canucks to try and do is like. Here's here's my uh, latest prediction. I, I I predict that the Canucks will make more than 14 draft picks in the next two years. I'm I'm predicting that. And currently they have 13, so it's going to require some work. But I I bet you the Canucks will make more than 14 picks. They need to. You have to address this prospect system. You are going to fall behind Anaheim and L.A. very quickly if you don't get some you know an an injection of high end talent with upside into this organization. There's no chance that management, especially considering Patrick Alvin's scouting background, isn't well aware of that. So I expect that the Canucks may try to be aggressive to add a pick. I think they'd love to add a second this draft year. Well, the other element is, of course, you know, they, they're in a position to potentially be adding picks for this draft year with all the players that might be on the market. They totally. might be interested in moving. And if you get another first round or even another second round pick, you know, to the idea of trading back, that just increases your flexibility so much more, right? The more picks you have in those first two rounds, you can be a lot more kind of agile and mobile moving around the board and specifically moving back and acquiring even more if you want to be then. Which would be well worth it if there's a player, you know, the... the um, Sorry, you're going to have to remind me, Casper, the Casper player that Chris Faber is riding for, uh, you know, another, another center to watch for uh, is uh, Chase Gosher, who's out of, or Gosher, out of... Um, the QMJHL, uh, six foot three, decent hands, big defensive oriented center. Uh, that's that's another guy to sort of watch for. Who look, who, look at you pumping the size all of a sudden with, with Nemich and this guy? You're all of a sudden six three. I like it. Well, you gotta you gotta pay attention to that in the first round. You can get your skill guys who are undersized later in the draft. There's actually like if you do trade down, like there's a lot of really good players at the later half of this third like first round that you should, like Liam Bichel, who's the six foot five. Uh, Swiss defense, like Swiss defenseman playing in the SHL at 17, like he skates really well for a six foot five guy. And who's the WHL guy who's six foot five plays for Swift Current? Um, Swift Current would be. It's not Kraczynski, it's the other one. The other Western guy. I'd have to jump. I got to do some checking. Faber, come on. Um, anyway, this kid, this kid was, um, this kid was five foot eight. 18 months ago and is now a six foot five defenseman, <laughs> just like one of those kids who had a massive growth spurt late and, uh, and now is going to for sure go in the draft lottery. Um, and sorry, I'm going to get his name for everybody just cause I feel Owen Pickering, Owen Pickering. There right. you go. Yeah. Owen, Owen Pickering. Pickering's the one who grew in his final year. Yeah. Pickering, Pickering in the last 18 months has grown something like wow. a, a, almost a foot. Anyway. Um, Swift, Swifty is a terrible team and he's asked to do way too much, but there's a lot of people who really like his projection and he, he obviously would bring a totally different dimension. Anyway, draft lottery is going to be interesting. And then we'll spend months pretending we know about these players that I've seen like once live at, at the most Faber knows more about them. Oh, yeah. Um, cause he's, t- he talks to all their coaches. <laughs> I'm, I'm going I'm to do some deep, uh, hockey DB and some elite, elite prospect scouting over the next YouTube scouting. <laughs> the next few, oh no, 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 no. I, I will do some YouTube. Scouting. <laughs> It'll be fun. But, but look, this is a really crucial opportunity for this club. If they're going to look ahead, this is kind of where it starts. You need to do a lot better in terms of bringing value into the organization than the club has done, especially the last two years. Um, 
it's a it's a dire need. And you know, as you watch the LA Kings sort of play Edmonton to a draw so far, right? Granted, no game has been close. They've all been blowouts one way or the other. And that's not the only series like that. That's 2-2, but every game has been kooky. I think the teams are not used to playing in the emotional environment of the playoffs again. Like, I think teams spent two years playing in half-empty buildings, and all of a sudden you're playing in these, you know, intense environments, and and you've been sort of away from it for two and a half years. And I think the emotional ebbs and flows of the playoffs i think players are not off not caught off guard they've been doing it their whole lives but i just think it's like oh right you know it's like uh it's like the first time you went to a party and you were like oh right i'm comfortable and i know how to interact with people you know like it's still waiting for that one it's a (laughs) it's a feeling out process i think that's my theory anyway on why these games are so lopsided well you look at the games the series that all played yesterday right so boston carolina tampa toronto st louis minnesota la edmonton all tied 2-2 all really compelling series now. So there's been, what, 16 games? How many of those games have been close? Yeah, In like, those four series, like two? Two, yeah. But but they're all really compelling, interesting series that well, are tied up. Well, and I, I mean, I'm paying close attention to the NBA, too, and all of these games get out of hand in the fourth quarter. Like, the Boston-Milwaukee uh, game over the weekend stood out because it was the only close game that we've had in the second round. We're seeing the exact same dynamic where, although it's a little bit more slanted toward the home teams in basketball, as you'd expect, home home court has always mattered more than home ice. But it's like all of a sudden teams just win at home. They like the home 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 court has been everything. Now, in hockey it's been a little bit different than that. It's been a little bit more complicated, but we all know, especially cuz we live in Vancouver, that a nervous crowd can get to you just as much as a raucous one. And so I think that's what we're seeing. That's my theory anyway. I think we're seeing it across sports right now. I think teams are just sort of getting used to that emotional heft again. And interestingly that you bring that up because in the four games tonight, the road team is favored in all of them. Now, there's extenuating circumstances, right? Like Florida's considered the better team. Calgary, obviously Colorado. Uh, New York has Igor Shesterkin. But yeah, not a single home favorite on the slate tonight. Uh, Lots more coming up tomorrow. Huh. That's a good tip, Jamie. It's a good tip. What? Log on to play now. I'm not making advice. Yeah, I'm just, no, I'm just a good for, tip. For anyone who's interested about placing a wager, yeah, check it out on playnow.com. We will uh, be back tomorrow to continue setting up the draft lottery from a Canucks perspective. Also breaking down tonight's playoff action. The People Show, Bick Nazar, Randy Bjanda is up next on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. And we're getting off on a little bit of a tangent here, but... That's I've, what we do. 